You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm an executive coach, a business consultant, and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. I am loving being in touch with you through Instagram and on Facebook and sending me messages. I love the messages about what you're um, getting from listening to She's Got Drive. And, and I love that you're being inspired by these women, of course, who doesn't want to be inspired. But the thing that's really powerful is having one of the women that got in touch with me recently was sharing how wonderful it is to have stories about success. We are faced with so many stories in the media about what we're not doing, what we're not accomplishing, how we're not, and all the terrible things that are happening to us in in the black community. So it's just so refreshing to hear the success stories and have women who are like us in various professions really doing well and sharing their journey. And not that it's an easy journey, but they are succeeding, which points to we can all do that. We can all do that. So keep it coming. Keep being in contact. I love it. And I respond. And I'm definitely just keep, 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 keep being in contact. Love it. Love it. The other thing I want to talk about as well is it would really help to grow this podcast if, number one, you share it with your female black friends. Go on. All those, all the women that you know, get it, get them listening to it. Get them inspired. Get them moved as well. And the other thing is, if you can rate and review it on iTunes, it helps grow the podcast. The more reviews that we get, the more the more it rises in the ranks. Da, 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 da. So, please... Go to iTunes, rate and review. She's got drive. And I know that some of you think, I'll do it, I'll do it. Do it today. Do it today. Thank you. I'd love, love you forever. I love you anyway, if you do that. The other thing, have you downloaded my ebook on the top tips on how to be a woman of drive? It has exercises in there for you to do, things to reflect on, three top tips. It has some inspirational quotes. If you go to my website at shirleymacalpine.com, you will find, you can be able to download it from there. So head over to there. If you've listened to the Pi episode, we won't mention it again. There's also a download on Pi that you can get from my website. So head over there. Today's episode is the second episode in what I'm calling my Apollo summer series. It's I'm having my guests who were at the Apollo with me sit with me in the guest chair so we can hear more about their stories. At the Apollo, we heard their wisdom, but it was more generic, if you like. And now we're getting more deeper dive into into who they are. We have Dr. Shalay Sims. And the the interview was so good and there was so much that I'm going to split it. I'm going to have Dr. Shalay to this week and next week because there's so much in here that that's very powerful that I want you to get. And I just think it's the one episode is just gonna be too long. So I've, I've split it up. So you'll just, there'll be episode part one today or this week and part one next week. So look out for that. But let me tell you something about Dr. Shalay. She's the assistant vice president of academic affairs at SUNY college at Old Westbury. 
Her work has been featured in such publications as Group Decisions and Negotiations Journal and International Perspectives of Social Entrepreneurship Research. She sits on the board of managers of a um, YMCA, and she's also a member of the supervisory committee at the Teachers Federal Credit Union, which is one of the largest credit unions in the country. You're going to love the things that she talks about from her perspective of really achieving her PhD and the challenges there, and also as a, a mum raising her children as a wife and, and what it's like for her and, and her family influence. So we're going to have that in two separate episodes, but I give you Dr. Shalay Sims. You're going to love her. Welcome to She's Got Drive and thank you so much for being willing to be in the guest chair this week. Thank you for inviting me, Shirley. You were one of the women who was at the Apollo yeah. with me and which was a fabulous, 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 fabulous um, day event, right? Uh, the thing about that, though, is we didn't actually get to hear your story in, in detail. What we heard, we heard some pieces of wisdom from you, which was wonderful. And so this is an opportunity for us to hear more about you and how you, you came to, to be who you are and how you got to, to be a college professor and, a, and an academic. Okay. So um, we wanted to kind of explore that journey with you um, in this time together. So thank okay. you for being willing. Shall we start with just you sharing about your work and what you do, um, and then we can then look at how you how you got there, how you arrived there. Okay, so I am a professor at SUNY Old Westbury in on Long Island in New York, um, and I think for years I've been resisting the idea of being an academic. I think, I think my mom branded it on me years ago when I was much younger. And I was just like, nope, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And I, I was working with these women and they told me about this organization called the PhD Project. And I went there to recruiting organization for um, people of color to become business professors. And I went there and you know, it's just one of those things where you See your calling come to life. Mm -hmm. And from there, I just kept trucking on. And so now um, I've been teaching there for a while. I do research on um, identity and organizations, and it has been um, quite a ride thus far. I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, it has been some experience, but uh, I don't see myself doing anything differently for a while mm. so before you found your calling what were you doing before that um i think right before that i was um running a program for uh, minority students to go to business school i mean to go to school that's what it was to go to medical school and really i was just trying to figure it out i came back from grad school um and I met my husband, and that just kind of threw off my plans. Like, it's in a good way, because I, I met him, I got married and had kids, and that part of my life just kind of took off. And that, I think clarity is very important, and my family life to me and the importance of that was extremely clear. And so it clouded 
other parts of my life because right. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew um, what I wanted my responsibility to be. I knew that um, to the best of my ability, I wanted to pour as much of what was poured into me and what was poured into Thomas's life into them. And so that really became um, the easy thing to know that I wanted to do. Right. Um, and so at that time, I was also still trying to figure out what I, Chalet Pilgrim Sims, wanted to do as an individual. Um, and so that, it, I had that dual focus of this I know I'm doing, this I have to figure out what I'm doing. Mm. And, um, the career I have now. And tell us more about the the project, the, the PhD project, because you said that was the turning point where you really saw your purpose, saw yes. what you were meant to be doing. So tell us more about that project. And then what was it? At what point did you, did you see that's it? So the PhD project was started by KPMG because they were looking for accountants of color and they felt like they really couldn't find what they were looking for. So they decided to create a pipeline of accountants. And what they felt was that people are not coming to the accounting profession because they don't see themselves in front of the classroom. And so instead of working just directly on training accountants, let's look at how we create an environment that will elicit the growth of accounting organically. And so they focused on putting professors of color in the classroom because that would be where the impact was. Mm. Um, but they did that. I think 1994 is when they really got organized. And so they just spent time thinking about what gets people through PhD programs and how they would facilitate that. Because that's really what it is. I mean, anybody who's gone through a PhD program knows it is completely voluntary, so you're constantly asking yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs> and you're also looking at it is a much more relational process than it is a merit-based process, and that people of color were missing out on the relationship part. So they were missing out on the social cues that would get them through the program. So one way that they focus on is all disciplines have national academic conferences that they insinuate is voluntary, but really is not. And so what they found was that people of color were not going to these conferences. They were focused on their work. They would do the things that structurally seemed like you were supposed to do, but they were, it's like playing uh, golf and being a business person, right? If you don't show up on the golf course, you're missing out on what the fundamental part of right. getting that business is. And that's what was happening in the academy. You were missing out on that fundamental part of what changed you from a student to an academic and a colleague. And so that's the part that they facilitate to make sure that one, you have someone who understands your position and that you can completely relate to. And two, to facilitate to make sure that you're attending these conferences, that you understand the coded language that is going on, that you're paying attention to the kinds of relationships that you need to attend to, and so that you have the full picture of what this process is about and you won't be left behind. And so their graduation rate to date is, I think, 96% of people who come wow. finish. And nationally, it is at less than 50% of people yes. who start the program finish. And so their model works. 
it is as an adult it is where i have made my closest friends so i have my high school friends that i just ride or die they come with me everywhere but as an adult you see it gets harder to make sister friends and my sister friends as an adult greatly have come from the phd project and sharing that experience Wow, there's so much there on your own journey. You've just really described something that's so fundamental. We've come at it in She's Got Drive before in Pi. So, you know, if you haven't listened to that episode of Pi, Mm -hmm. performance, image and exposure, where we are more likely to focus, we being people of colour, women, focus on the performance, focus on the work. And if I just work hard, then automatically, then I'm going to, get my promotion or I'm going to get the role of, get the job as an academic or I'm going to get, get through the PhD. Yes. And that isn't the case. The, the, that's a very, in terms of success and career and enhancement, that's a very small percentage because that's just table stakes. But you're speaking about your image, your reputation. Are they seeing someone who could be an academic? Are they seeing someone who's got reputation, who's building reputation of being a professor? And then the third aspect you talk is exposure. It's a network and it's a relational. So you said it's more relational than merit. That is just like eye-opening. I'm sure people are sitting there going, wait, what? Yeah. And that's something I wish I had known earlier. Because they tell you, if you're coming up through the PhD project, that's something they tell you all the time and they try to reiterate. But like you said, you're a woman of color. This is what you have been ingrained to do. Performance matters. Work harder than the next person. If you work harder, you're going to get as far as a person who has more privilege and needs less work. And so it, it's very hard to unlearn that, to learn what is really yes. going on. And yes. so as you start having this weighted balance of, because you still have to work twice as hard to get half as far. That part has not left the equation. But now you have this part that may not come naturally, may be resisted by other people, and you still have to navigate that part of the equation if you're going to get to where you want to be. Right. If there's something that I really want our women to really grasp is that, there's still the working twice as hard. We talk about that as well with Nicola Rollock in hers, you know, and the, the challenges of that, the, the weight of that, that mantra that has been drummed into us from yeah. since we were babies, right? right? And then in addition, but what's going to get you where you need to be is is the relational aspect, is the, is the networking, is the exposure, is the managing of how people see you. Is uh, You said... How you said it's like the code. Mm-hmm. What's the code? Yeah. In the environments in which you're operating and you gotta stop and start to read it. Or the thing about this program is they were telling you. Yeah. What the code was. The code was yeah, yeah it's not voluntary at all. You're supposed to go. And yeah. we look at that actually. So those times, well, you know, it's up to you if you go to that conference. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, it's up to you if you dress down dress down Fridays it's up to you if you go cas- casual you know mm, yeah no it doesn't always apply to exactly. certain people right it doesn't yeah. always apply it's like yeah no you don't get to come in in little shorts and no you don't that's not no that's not you <laughs> and so it was good to have that um, have that language because it really was 
especially when you're talking about um, going to these conferences. The first one I went to, I only stayed for, um, I think, two days because it was exhausting. Because you're talking about a conference of 10,000 people, maybe, where they already told you they're speaking a different language, pay attention. And so, and there's a lot of research that talks about that, like how the mental work that you have to go to to understand what the coded language is and try to decipher it. So the first conference, they got two days out of me and that was it. I had to come and go with my family and just, and this was before I started my program. So it really was my first indoctrination into what I was about to embark upon. And I had just enough for me to frame what my moves were going to be. Um, but I had to get out of there those first days because I needed to regroup and mm. really say, okay, now this is what my game plan is going to be. This is what it is. This is the real deal. You've made your decision now because in September, when it's time to get your program started, you know 100% what this is about. I'm reminded as you talk about our ability to decode and how that's a skill that we develop as we're in that environment and trying to figure out what does it mean in the relational aspect, which is our, a different aspect of the emotional intelligence lens. You know, when we talk about emotional intelligence as our social awareness, our way of reading the room, reading what's happening around, around us, but we're, and we're speaking about this the, with the cultural lens on it, like, how do we cross organizational, cultural systems, mm -hmm. spaces? It's so complex. Yes. It's so complex. No wonder you're exhausted, right? Yeah. It is the Tower of Babel, really, because you have, from a cultural perspective, you have the language that's facilitated within the organization. You mm -hmm. have the language that's facilitated within the profession. And then you have your own ethnic, social, cultural lens that's on top of that. So people really are speaking completely different languages that have some crossover between them, but have some very distinct elements of it that if you are a novice, you are really turning your wheels to try to figure out what are they saying? What does that really mean? How does that pertain to me? And outside of a, a program, it's very easy for someone to just say, peace, man, I'm out. Yes. You know, it, it, and I don't mean easy, like easy. I mean, it's, it gets to a point without the support structure to say, I can't, I yeah. can't, I'm done. I'm tired mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're tired and you haven't even started the program yet. Right. <laughs> right? And they, they'll let you go. And that's the thing. It, it was so, and the, the conference that we went to um, was yearly and you could see it was like a marathon that when everybody arrived at the conference, they were dragging across the finish line to get to be together. We called it our family reunion because it really was where we were um, revitalized, both socially and academically, right. right? Because this is still an academic conference. So we are exchanging ideas and people are feeding off each other and we are creating um, a friendly environment to critique each other's work to figure out work collaboration. So if you look at um, the research that comes out of the PhD project, because of the relational part, it has um, a functional aspect to it. So there are a lot of research collaborations that come from our relationships within the PhD project. Um, 
And that is what, because we need it. Because but when we get to the conference, you can just see everybody lights up when, when we're in the airport. Because we just know each other. Like, oh, yeah. Even if I haven't met you before, I know who you are and I know where you're going. And we light up when we see each other. Right. And that frees up our mental space to then do the work that we need to do. Yes. Yes. And the, and, and oftentimes, by comparison, people are in, feeling isolated, aren't they? They start a program, they, they, they follow a program based on the subject area and whether they can find someone who's going to, um, whether, whether they get accepted into a program, they're one of one, two, three, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, there might be three of you um, in that PhD program. And then it's very isolating and it's very challenging, but you're going to hear that the support, finding your tribe, support, having support is critical for achieving success. And one of the models that I use often when I'm coaching, it's one of my go-to models that I came across through um, my, my work and being associate of Telios Leadership Institute. And when I did their coaching program years ago uh, and I, I actually am co- a coach on their coaching program now is there is the intentional change model is um, and they use that model in their program because at the center of all change, sustainable change is support, supporting relationships. And people don't often pay attention to that. Yeah. You know, we, we focus on the outcome where, what do we want to get? And we go straight to how do we do it? What's the plan? So I want to get a PhD and I should go and do a PhD program. And then they start taking the action. Um, they're in the program and, and not often thinking about what's the support structure that I need to get me through. Yeah. And what, and, and how do I have create a vision that's compelling enough to keep me going in the darks, in the dark spaces. But the program that you're speaking about is such a fabulous program as a context for, achieving what you've achieved yes. i'm i is it still going is it still running oh yeah yeah okay well i i'm gonna put a link can i put a link in the show notes about that program absolutely okay thing that has fundamentally changed my life anytime they ask me to do something i'm always there to help because that the work still needs to be done we're not at a critical mass where We've created an environment across the country to um, self-sustain. So I wholeheartedly believe that if people want to engage in this, please reach out to the PhD project. And if there are other disciplines that want the same type of model, they are more than open to speak with anybody about that. Great. I'm going to put that in the show notes if anyone's interested in doing a PhD, because it's so wonderful what you're speaking about and so critical. Let's come back to your, what the moment that you saw that you were fulfilling your purpose. What was it and how far were you in the program? Do you think when that happened? I had a hard time in my program and it, it really is when I think about it, um, it was from day one when I went to um, school and I walked in and one of the professors said, oh, you must be Chalet. And it threw me off because to me it was, oh, you must be the black girl. They said we had one. That's how it rained in my ears. Right. And to me, it was, um, it put me on guard right away. And um, when I started the program, 
um, my daughters were three years old. Mm. And the program was three hours away from my house. And I'm trying wow. to out how am I going to you know, manage the girls, manage my marriage, mar- manage this program. Um, and in my mind, I was trying to give attention in the best way I could to all of those things. Mm-hmm. But what I believe was interpreted was because I was still focusing on family, that I was not really taking the program seriously. And so, and that was the relational part. So it was like the the work was being interpreted through what they thought my um, my dedication to the program was. Okay. Yes. So in the end, they felt like I should not be at that program. Now that was three years in. I don't think up to to that point they had ever um, dismissed somebody from the program that far in. Um, but when they, and I, I, the writing was on the wall, I already, and that was the, the support of the PhD program, I mean, the PhD project, because I called my people and I was like, I think this is what's going on. What should I do? And they got on the ball. They set a plan in motion for me. And we're talking about, this was probably, um, three months of figuring out what was going to happen. Um, and when I got dismissed from my program, that, I think that week, it might have been two days later, I got um, notification that my research was accepted to the national conference, the, the, the conference that the PhD project makes sure we attend. And that it was that, that, that contrast of what was going on, that here I had this peop- these people in an insulated environment, questioning my ability to do this work at the same time that I got information that I have a coveted position in a conference. Um, And that it was then it was that the juxtaposition of those two things that made me say, Nope, I don't care what they're saying. I can do this. And so with that, that, one thing allowed me the energy to keep going. Yes. And then from the PhD project, Shalei, you're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. So I wound up transferring immediately to a better program subsequently. Seamless transfer, went on about my business. And if it wasn't for that acknowledgement of my work, I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to combat what the message I was getting from right. that book. Right. And it was that, and it was, and it was work that, um, because my, the school had heard the pay, I had to present the paper there. Um, and there was lots of controversy about what I was saying. There was disagreement about my arguments. I mean, there was a lot of fuss around what my work was. Um, so to come out of that environment, to be told, no, keep going, this is going to work, keep moving. It really was what I needed to affirm that this was something that I liked, that it was something that I could do, and it was something that I should do. And I had this network in place to make sure that I kept going. That's, do you, when you share that, I always think of faith, 
I say the universe intervenes, you know, if you believe in God. I think of those moments where I feel like there's a message from a higher being that says, I don't usually go there, people, in this podcast, but I, it's those times when I think, ah, oh, there's something outside of me saying, you're on the right path, keep it moving, because you this is this could derail you. Do not be derailed. So I'm sending this you at this time, in this moment. Are you a believer in that? That was God. I mean, I know that, that for other people, but for me, that was God, because it could have been the reverse. I easily could have found that information two days prior and then got dismissed from the program. And that would have ended it for me. That was God saying, here's the time and you need this information now. Right. And it's the seed that made sure that I kept moving. Yeah. Love that. I love that. I have literally got goose pimples. I'm literally like all over my body as you share that. Because, and I'm so, I'm really feeling very moved by that because it is in those moments and sometimes the, the message has to be loud and clear like that, yeah. as you said, in timing, because sometimes we miss it, you know, we miss it yeah. and we le- and we are so taken off what we are meant to be doing and all because of uh, the environment. You remember that when I talk about the environment doesn't always pull for our success. Yes. It doesn't. And so that's not changing anytime soon. And as much as I'm all for and have worked in diversity and inclusion work and worked with organizations and worked with senior leaders and I've done all of that work. And as much as I am committed to the transformation of environments, so it does pull for our success currently, predominantly it doesn't. It doesn't. So who are you going to be? What are you going to do? And what are you going to listen to? And this is like, yeah, God's saying, Jalay, man, do not come off this path. Um, yeah, there's something else that's coming your way. Yeah. And, you, and here you get and you get into a bigger and a better program. Yeah. And um, you know, and then in the meantime, you know, I have two daughters who are paying astute attention to what is going on. Um, and so that messaging matters. And they hear, they hear the conversations that I'm having with my husband about this. Um, they, I used to, you know, take them through the process with me. So they really understood as much as their minds could allow them to understand what was going on. And actually, one of my daughters um, painted a picture of a rainbow. And it says, trouble won't last all the time or something like that. Oh, I was, I, the tears when oh I saw that, not contain myself, but it really reflected that they understood what was going on um, and they were going to be my support. And so between the PhD project and my family, I had to keep going. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Some, somebody in those circles was not going to let me stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. What beautiful Fainted for your daughter. But I still have, you know, I didn't go that way. I oh, I know that. Still look at it and I just, I'm like, oh, thank you. That's all I could say was thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one of my questions is what's your biggest accomplishment? But I'm I'm going to ask a question still, but it's, this is sounding pretty big. Is there anything else that's bigger than this as an accomplishment? 
Um, professionally? Um, no, I, I think I, I really judge. I judge everything by bad experience, really, um, because it sends a message to me that I could keep moving. And so that is where I focus my attention on. Um, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts and she was talking about um, how because you look down and dig deep and you keep going that you don't think of yourself as successful, but you realize that when people look at you and your story that they see an image of success. Um, So that for me, I... I'm not there yet. I feel like I'm just getting started. And so my measure of success now is, did I meet a challenge and did I keep moving? And as long as I keep moving and keep learning, then I am more successful today than I was the day prior. One of the phrases that has come up time and time again, I think in the times that I've been doing the interview so far is keep moving. I can't tell you how that phrase how often that phrase has come up because we get stopped as black women yes in our vision for ourselves in our commitment to ourselves and it isn't there's no shortage of dreams and there's no shortage of vision and sometimes people don't even get into action you know there is they stop themselves so early that they're not even in action but if they get into action then they get stopped by a number of different things and sometimes that's people close to them as well yeah. as people who are further away yeah from them as well but yeah so keep it moving did I meet yeah. the challenge and keep it moving? is there any other ways that you would define success for you the divorce rate for PhDs is very high so that is probably my biggest success because it there is just one, there's a lot of drama that goes around this very unstructured process, mm. at least potential drama. Right. Um, and two, it is also um, a very status-differentiating process. Right. People call you doctor. And for a lot of, um, for a lot of women, that becomes a problem in their relationships. So that really was part of my focus, that my family had to come out of this intact, that um, you know, people needed to understand um, what I was going through. So if my husband came to a conference with me, he would know this is, this is my business. And this is um, when you think I'm not doing anything or you see me quiet and have my head buried someplace, this is why, this is what's going on. So, and the girls would come to the conference and they would see me present my papers because they needed to understand that we as a family are going through this process. And even though I have to do the work, you have to suffer from what is either not happening, you know, you have days where hair is not getting done or your father has to do your hair or, you know, you have to eat spaghetti for the 40th day in a row. You know, everybody has to come along with, and you can't underestimate um, how, how if you don't attend to it, what a negative consequence it could have. Right. Uh, and so that really is that, that we move together as a unit um, and that we keep growing together as a couple 
and as a family. And I think that to me will be my success. If I have achieved all the things that I would like to achieve and I have the people that started with me still with me in the end, that will be my definition of success. Yes. So there's so many lessons in there. Uh, the, 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 the nurturing and the paying attention to our relationships that matter in our lives as we pursue our vision and our and for, and whatever that is in terms of fulfilling our purpose, but really looking after that. And at this and at the same time, I love that you said that you know you talked about you bringing your girls to watch you present. Well, you know, having your husband at the conferences as well, so they can get to see your your world uh, because unless you see it it's very hard to imagine right what it is and and so then you understand when i am stressed out or my, my husband says that he can tell when i have a problem because i start deep breathing and i start he can hear me breathing and i'm like but now you know why that i have to get myself back centered and refocused and you know one i have to let the ideas keep flowing but two i have to deal with you know this is a completely subjective um, discipline. If I have an argument that you as a reviewer don't agree with or whatever, you'll trump me, period. Yes. You're gonna, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not publishing your work. I don't agree with what it says. And that's it. I have to, then I have to move on to another thing. So when you're in such a subjective environment, um, you have to learn how to um, create uh, objectives where there generally aren't many. Yes. Yes. I mean, so, statistics. I mean, data always rules, but there's still that thing of, no, I don't agree. I don't want to publish it. And so you have to figure out how to um, continue to work. Sometimes you get reviews that are just the nastiest things. And it's about your baby. You know, somebody's actually calling your baby ugly. <sighs> figure out how to keep that baby in a stroller, take it to another park, figure out where else you're going to go um, because that's the nature of the business. And so when he hears me deep sighing, now he understands why. He sees that <sighs> she must have got a bad review today. All right, let me <laughs> let me let her... We let her live. Yes. Check on her later, and um, and that becomes part of bringing everybody in on the process. Yes, I'm hearing in with that backdrop how important it is, and how challenging it was to get your papers accepted. Then for how important it was to get your get accepted to present at that conference. You know, and how much of an acknowledgement that was because you you have this environment where it's a battle to get you to see, get your research kind of accepted in your in your hypotheses or your points of view yeah. accepted, which are different from the reviewer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. And so you try to, you understand that's the name of the game and you try to play it as best you can and come out. If you've got a strong relationship with your reviewer and if you've got a positive relationship with your reviewer, 
they presumably are less like less likely to be nasty. You know, I mean, is, am I right? Yeah, and there's actually research that looked at um, so like one of the currencies for academics is um, citations of your work, and they found that there is a relational um, component to even citations because you would think that here's the research out there. If it's good research, I'm going to cite it. But what's going on just as often is if it's familiar research, if it's my friend's research, I'm citing it as well. And so if you're out of that loop relationship-wise, you are going to be out of that loop um, currency-wise. And so even those kind of things where it is presented as an objective measure of your performance still has a strong undercurrent of relationships that are going on within the academy. I'm just like, now, I've been around for so long. I know how this things, these things are happening. But as you describe it, it's like the, you are sharing the code that you mm -hmm. mean that you had to live. And there, I'm sure there'll be people listening going, oh, I had no clue. Yeah. No clue. None. None, none, none. No. I mean, it's a pretty isolated environment. I mean, because when you think about it, what they say? I don't know, maybe 3% of the population has a PhD. So it's not, um, you know, it's not a system that is universally shared, to, shared you know, and so and I, I told my husband that the other day, I'm like, yes, in the scheme of things, because it's my little circle, it seems like a big deal. But in the scheme of, thi in the scheme of things, what, 25,000 people share the same experience? So, <laughs> so it's just, yeah, you might you might not know, but it just it does show you how um, every discipline has its political um, right. environment in which you have to operate and understand what's going on. Right. So it's it it, it raises the question, or I'm, I think it it ought to raise the question for anyone who's listening who who either hasn't asked this question or has asked the question but not sought the answer is what is the code. Right. What are the and and to that degree, you know, to the things that we to start to question all aspects of your environment and say, what do I understand is really the way that things work around here, and and how do I understand it, and how do I get to understand it? Where do I get that information from? Who's going to share that information? with me and how do I build relationships and if you're not building relationships in your environment you are missing out you yeah. are totally missing out again you know we come back it reminds me again of that Harvey Coleman's research of which pi is based on mm -hmm. and he in that which shows that that the that 60 percent of your success in your work in your career is really down to your relationships you know your networks yeah. and your relationships and that um it's it's shocking it's a shocking number it it's, is but it's what's happening you know we in um in the sciences we have uh, degrees of freedom right and this is how much room we have for error when people like you you have more room for error period that's it <laughs> that's it that's it more chips in the bank in the relationship bank that's right 
more chips in the relationship bank. So that's why emotional intelligence, you know, that as a, I should do a, I should do a podcast just on that actually. Emotional intelligence and what our, our ability to understand our environment is how we enhance our relationships and how we can manage those relationships. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. Oh, so wonderful, so moving, so enlivening. I'm left with the power of community and and the support structure to have you win in life. That the PhD program that Shalay was on is commitment to sharing the code with its students means that they increase the completion rate from a national average of 50% to 90% of their students completing their PhD is an extraordinary result. And it points to the importance of finding your tribe, your people to surround you with the love and commitment to having you win. I, you know, I know this, I'm reminded of this, and I can see this is a critical factor for women with drive succeeding. They are surrounded with people who are for them winning. You know that I love to hear from you. I, I truly, truly do. I'm curious to hear what you got from this week's episode and any steps you're taking. Remember, Chile talked about, you know, if you take a step, you keep it moving. Remember, this is a theme that's a recurring theme in the interviews that you keep it moving. And so what's the next step that you're taking as a result of listening to this week's episode? What insight, any insight that you have, think about one thing that you could do that moves you closer to where you want to be. To go to She's Got Drive Facebook page and you can leave a comment there or questions you might have you can raise. You're, you can always comment or message me on Instagram at Shirley McAlpine Consulting. I love receiving those messages, so keep it coming. I do respond to peeps, I do respond. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Fortalina. The music is by the awesome female band Blonde. As I said, connect with me on Instagram. You can also follow me on Twitter. There's a Facebook page. She's got Drive. And remember to rate and review the show. And head over to my site. She's got Drive. No, my site, ShirleyMcAlpine.com. And there you can download my free ebook on how to be a woman with Drive. Until next time, go well and stay well.